0: Um, yet not I, Christ, but through Christ in me. Let's pray. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the founder and perfecter of our faith. That he sustains us. That this life throws so much our way. Um, that this life there is so much threatening to discourage our hearts. Threatening to discourage and and, and point our gaze away from our savior. And so we do pray that you would give us a fresh look to Jesus. We pray that, that, that we would turn our hearts to him, that we would trust in him to sustain us and we pray that you would bless this time in your word, that, that through it, we would have our eyes open to behold wondrous things from your word. Show us, Christ, that we may find continued rejuvenating life in him for those of us that are his. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um, thank you. Um, all right, so uh, quick edit, uh, the service card says that we're in, uh, we're going to be in um, Hebrews 12, 1 to 4, we're only going to cover 1 through 3, so not a big change, but still Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. Um, the Super 6, uh, the Super 6, it may sound like the newest superhero movie, um, but In fact, this was the premier racing event at Fittler Academics Plus School over in Germantown. If memory serves me correct, um, it was a a part of the uh, big event called Play Day that they had every year uh, with games, a food, a dunk tank, um, and parents, and so on. The Super Six was a race event where you took the six fastest people in your class and raced against the six fastest racers in the other class in the same grade. I managed to make it once or maybe twice. Um, The length of the race was maybe about the length of this aisle, Uh, so not really that long. Um, But you know, as a kid, it seems bigger, louder, and felt like a national competition. Um, Now, Fittler uh, is only grades first through eighth. so it's not as if the kids that were competing were, were hitting the gym every day or were waking up at six in the morning to, to go running and prepare for, for this Super Six. Um, there wasn't much that was required, if any training or preparation for, the, for this race. The smaller you were, or maybe the more active you were at PE and recess, probably had the biggest advantages and benefits to, <coughs> to your speed. Um, in other words, this is not the sort of race that's in mind for the, our passage today in Hebrews 12. As we'll see, our race is one that is long, ongoing, and requires endurance. In Hebrews 12, the writer, the writer of Hebrews is exhorting his readers to continue in their race of faith, pursuing Jesus with an endurance that looks to him. The letter to the Hebrews was originally written to a congregation probably of mostly Jewish Christians, um, but likely also with, with some J- Gentile Christians mixed into it. Uh, we don't know exactly who the author is, so if you hear me refer to the writer over and over again, that, that's why we historians have speculated and, and such, but nobody quite knows who the, who the author of Hebrews is. Um, in this letter to the Hebrews, the writer is often warning the, his hearers against drifting or falling away from the faith. There were different circumstances that were tempting them to return to Judaism and abandoning the Christian community. Possibly pressures from their surrounding community, community of faith or from the surrounding community and family members who didn't trust this, this Christian way. So, this, pro, this probably on top of the general sins and sorrows of life, causing a weariness and faint heartedness for these believers and for some, the temptation to abandon the faith. So constant warnings and reminders, are, we, we see them pop up all throughout Hebrews if you read through it's a, It's one of my favorite books of the Bible, uh, if, if you can say that. Um, I'd encourage you to read it this afternoon if you, if you have a chance. Um, but we see these warnings and reminders all throughout of how Jesus is greater and better and how everything of their old Jewish ways pointed to and, and find their fulfillment in, in the Messiah, Jesus. The writer has a pastoral heart and care for those he's writing to. And here in chapter 12, he's getting ready to land the plane, so to speak. Um, And let's turn there, uh, if you haven't already, uh, to Hebrews chapter 12, uh, 1 to 3. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. If you take notes, there's two points for this message. Point number one, behold the crowd. There's a question mark at the end in case my inflection was off. Behold the crowd. And point two, behold the Christ. Behold the Christ. Point one, behold the crowd. Um, Let's look again at verse one. Uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Typically, when we see the therefore, it's a signal to look back uh, to what was just previously stated. It's a sort of uh, so in light of this, so in light of these things, then this. And so what comes before our text is probably one of the more well-known chapters of Hebrews, uh, chapter, chapter 11, which is um, often referred to as the Hall of Faith. Um, the writer starts off that chapter giving us a definition of faith, uh, which says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then he goes on to say uh, that for it, for faith, for, for by it, by faith, The people of old received their commendation. And what follows for the rest of of chapter 11 is a list of these people of old and their faith. Um, So by faith, Abel, by faith, uh, Enoch, by faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, um, Isaac, by faith, Jacob, by faith, Moses, and so on and so on. And then he gets to, to the last stretch there, uh, starting in verse 32, and then he says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel the prof- and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became uh, became mighty in war, put foreign armies in, in flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that these might rise again to, to a better life. Others suffer mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of, of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And so the writer is laying a foundation of these saints of old that walked by faith with the Lord in their lifetime. And so this is what that therefore in in our passage is, is pointing back to. Again, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, The writer is is setting up our minds to to think of the picture of a race, um, similar to what we may think of today when when we think of a track competition. Uh, And these witnesses that are watching are referring to the Old Testament faithful. But the writer doesn't just say, since we are surrounded by witnesses, rather, he highlights that there are a plethora of witnesses. Hence, the use of of great and the Greek word for for cloud and other Greek literature can refer to a mass or a heap. So the, bringing those two words together, using so great and using cloud, uh, is his way of uh, putting them back to back and really driving home the point of the plethora of witnesses surrounding the stadium. Think of an li- Olympic type of races surrounded by millions. The stadium, so to speak, was already packed when this letter was originally written. When he wrote this letter originally, the writer could, could already say, there are so, 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 so many witnesses that have gone before us. Those that faithfully endure trial and testing in their walk with the Lord. And it's crazy to consider that even now, the writer of Hebrews and many of those that he was writing to are now amongst our great cloud of witnesses. The cloud has expanded. Um, they've, they've run the race and endured in the Lord. And it's meant to be an encouragement and a witness to us in our race. And so since we have so, 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 so many of these witnesses that we're surrounded by, the writer exhorts us to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. We learn from these saints of old who also face different weights and sins in their race. Just as for them, so we also lay Weights and sins aside. The, the idea of lay aside um, isn't intended to, to indicate some nonchalant, lackadaisical, let me just take this off my back and fold it up and lay it right here. Um, it's, it, it's more so, uh, it's used elsewhere in the Bible of putting away or putting off sin or, or, or a reference to putting off the old self. Uh, one translation uh, uh, puts it this way, let us strip off every weight. Interesting enough, uh, one commentator points out that runners in the first century uh, w- would enter the stadium wearing long flowing colorful robes, which is kind of weird, but it's maybe kind of, think of like boxing where they come in with these these extravagant things that they walk down the aisle in, and then they take it off and they're ready to box. Uh, so maybe think, think kind of like that. Um, uh, so they would come in with these long flowing robes and at the start of the race they, they would dis- discard them um, wearing almost close to nothing. Um, the point was to have as little po- as possible on when you, when you ran the races. Um, anything that would hinder and slow down is to be cast aside. I think a distinction is being made by using both the term weight and sin but they're still related. Uh, things that are sin. Um, are generally more clear um, in most cases. For example, uh, I tried to find one of the most clearest passages that's calling these things specifically sin. Uh, so for example, in Galatians 5, verses 19 to 21, we read, you can turn if you like, but I'll go ahead and uh, read Galatians 5, 19 to 21. says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, Sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, so the sin the sin aspect is probably a little more straightforward in some senses, Um, and I mean even this list here is we see that it's not exhaustive. Paul. Paul even points out that this is a lot of things that I'm pointing out here, but there's even things like these that are probably more obvious, but I'm not, I'm not drawing attention to specifically here. Uh, So whereas weights can be something that may not be inherently sinful, but it can impede and create sinful implications. Um, So let's say like watching a documentary about whales uh, or something, something like that. Um, that at face value it's not inherently simple, but then it slowly turns into watching four and five episodes every night and begins to have clear implications and hindrances on your walk with the Lord and your fellowship with the saints. The whale documentaries have slowly become a weight that is slowing you down from running well. I remember I think it was in my time in college where there was a season of life where I was like Man, things are just so busy. I feel like I have no time in the word, no time in the word, no time in prayer. Yet here I am every now and then playing video games, playing video games. I was, I mean, I love playing video games. Then it finally occurred to me, I have, I I have time. I'm just allowing these video games to become a weight to me uh, so that it's, it's taking up, it's taking up that time that I could be using to run well, to run more firmly with my eyes fixed on the Lord. Um, and so the sins in our in our life may be a little more clear the weights may be not, not as much all the time but what is your whale documentary what's your weight both sins and weights call for an alertness and sober mindedness to be able to recognize so that we can lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And even though my example for for weights may seem a little silly um, or the idea of sin may seem basic, the text doesn't take them for granted. He doesn't assume that these these things are to be taken lightly or just assume we've arrived in our understanding and and, in our grapple with them. They're not just something to mess around with. Hear this from an old-school preacher who's now dead and with the Lord. He says this, Too often we hide ourselves from ourselves, lest the sight of ourselves should sicken ourselves. Let us invite the searching eye of God to locate this corrupted, spotted, stinking self in us. Let it be torn from us and crucified with him, so that henceforth we no longer serve sin. It will do. It will not do. Sorry, it will not do to call sin by some other name, saying, "The fellow has a devilish temper. Mine is just right, righteous indignation. She is touchy. My irritability is just a case of nerves. He is covetous. I'm expanding my business." He is stubborn. I have convictions. She is proud. I have superior taste. There is a cover-up for anything if you want it that way. These weights, these sins, they must be stripped off. They creep in so easily and threaten to entangle I still remember the question um, that I was asked when leading up to, uh, to, to leading me to help help me see my need for Jesus. Um, the, the person asked me, "Who is worth sinning against God? Who is worth sinning against God?" So I asked us the same question: Who or what is worth sinning against God? Let us cast off, strip off, lay aside every weight and sin that threatens to entangle and trip us up. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The writer is continuing the running metaphor going, going on in this verse. Um, and, I, and I want to be careful not to press the metaphor more than uh, the writer intends or more, more than scripture it w- would intend. Um and I don't want to make it sound as if uh, the writer is implying that only after you get to this sinless perfection, then can you run the race. The idea is an ongoing race and therefore the idea of actively fighting, fighting off weights and sins in the ongoing life. Paul's words in Philippians three are helpful. Uh, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And even in our our verse, the writer points out that that this race requires endurance. It takes work, discipline, and intentionality. Remember, it's not the super six. Not something that, that can randomly just happen. But something that takes work. It's the idea of sticking with it or keeping to it in the face of difficulty. It's as if the writer is not overlooking the fact that this run, this race of faith, will be grueling and even dangerous at times. He doesn't undermine those realities, but is all the more the reason why he's I- I- exhorting us in this way. Run with endurance that the run with endurance that race that's set before us, looking to the great cloud of witnesses for motivation. Nope, not what it says. In fact, if we even think of, of the witnesses, what, what is the point of the witnesses? Uh, we see and we recognize the example of the saints of old, but would looking to them be sustaining enough for us? Would, would this writer bring all this up just to tell us to look at the witnesses? We can appreciate their faith. We can appreciate that they that they ran and pursued the Lord. And there are lessons to be learned, but but he, he never anywhere in this passage tells us to actually look to them. Um, are they what are what are they even bearing witness to? Are they attesting to how great they've been, how awesome of a job they did in trusting the Lord by faith or the miraculous things they achieved by faith? Or is the attention of the witness meant to be uh, is the attention of the witnesses meant to be on the faithful one who has a pristine track record of keeping his people? As witnesses, they're saying, we faithfully trust it in the Lord in all these things with the Lord's help. Continue running. Don't stop. Run hard. Run hard. Run hard after him. An endurance that is so thoroughly rooted in Christ that we can even rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Don't drift, the writer says elsewhere in the letter. Don't, be be careful of falling away. He's like, "I, I get it, I know. Persecution is on the rise. I know you might get tempted to go back to your old lifestyle and old sins at times. Your own people and family ridicule you for following Jesus. Your own classmates or coworkers might mock you for bringing your biblical thinking into the classroom or work. It gets gritty and grimy at times. You may knock on 50 doors every week to tell people about Jesus, and they'll just mock you and ridicule you. Your best friend, your loved one, your closest one to you, you may labor in prayer and still not see them come to the Lord. Don't don't, fret, don't quit. Don't stop pursuing him. It's, it's not always a cakewalk. I know you'll be faced with many sins and sorrows, in in suffering in this life. You might not get married someday like you hope. You might not be healed of that cancer this side of eternity. You might not find, you might not get that job you hoped for when you wanted it. Keep clinging to him. Press on in pursuit of him. Yes, it may get tough. Yes, many of us may die before the Lord returns. Our brother overseas in the undisclosed area of Asia, keep holding firm to him. Even when the military sends the police and and, and drives you out of, of where you're meeting, keep pursuing, holding firm to Him. I know it's hard. I know it's downright anguishing at times. But do not lose sight of the Lord. Who is worth turning away from the Lord? Who or what is worth turning away from the Lord? Behold the Christ. Look to him. Verse two. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As encouraging as the faith of the Old Testament saints is, the writer doesn't exhort us. Uh, to to, to look to the Old Testament saints. Instead as with the rest of the letter of Hebrews, he draws their attention to Jesus who is the greater the better this verse is the crux of the whole race metaphor otherwise this would be just some moralistic race metaphor about trying to, to, to do better and overcome obstacles which I'm sure could make a pretty decent Pixar movie but it would it would be devoid of the gospel. How would you lay aside every weight and sin without Jesus? If you're not a Christian and you're listening, consider this and actually contemplate an answer for yourself and before you and God. How would you lay aside every weight and sin without Jesus? You may try really, really hard to refrain from doing certain sins to some extent or, or change some bad habits, But you'd still be guilty before a holy God and spiritually dead. Doing some good stuff can't make a spiritually dead person anymore alive. You would still be dead in the trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, living in the passions of your flesh carrying out the desires of the body and of, and the mind and by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind how could changing a few bad habits or giving up some stuff change this and christians such were some of you such such were we apart from christ thanks be to god that jesus came once for all at the end of the age, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, there is forgiveness of sins and peace with God through him. As Hebrews 7 says, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him, which is crazy to think that that the cross and joy would even be in the same sentence. This this is and this is no light thing to even consider. Um, nor is the cross of Christ just like any any other cross during Roman rule. Uh, many people were crucified in the New Testament times. Uh, this was reserved for the worst criminals. And even if Jesus was merely enduring just the Roman punishment, it would still still have been scandalous enough given the fact that he was innocent of even just their law. He was innocent and and he had perfection. He He was perfect in all his ways. Yet, even more than that, on the cross, he also endured the very wrath of God. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was placed On him so when we say that Jesus endured the cross this is wildly different than any other cross before or after he is the the only one that can ever cry out it is finished in the midst of the worst agony ever placed on any soul and the father looks at it and says amen it is He was in real agony and despised the shame. He endured, he bore up against the absolute worst and he endured with joy. And now Jesus, seated in the highest place of honor at the right hand of the throne of God. One commentator summarizes this beautifully. He says, Jesus' assumption of the position at the right hand of God represents the joy set set before him for the sake of which he endured shame and death. It is the prize that came to him at the end of his race. His session at the right hand is the guarantee of the absoluteness of Christ's exaltation and the utter security of those who have placed their hope in him. When believers who are still running their race fix their eyes on Jesus and rely on him for support and help, they know that he is the perfecter of faith who is seated at God's right hand, having endured the cross and shame for them. This Jesus, this high and exalted cross enduring son of God, this Jesus initiated our faith by giving us new life and opening the eyes of our hearts by his spirit And he is the one that we look and look and look to. Our looking to Jesus was not an initial thing at the start of salvation. This is an ongoing looking. It's to direct attention without distraction, fixing our eyes trustingly on him. And he perfects our faith by by preserving, sanctifying, and sustaining us by his spirit. Verse three, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. The writer reiterates the point of drawing the reader's attention back to Jesus and does so with a strong affirmation. By all means, consider him. This is to think thoroughly and carefully on Jesus. It's meant to parallel what what we just what we just uh, what was just said in the previous verse, looking to Jesus. But what does it mean to do this? Look to Jesus. Consider Jesus. What does it mean, and how do we actually do this? Uh, here are these verses uh, from Ephesians uh, one verses seventeen through eighteen. Um, in typical fashion, Paul is. Uh, talking about how grateful he is for the Ephesians and and their faith and love and how he's always giving thanks to God and praying for them. Um, And then he picks up in verse 17. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you but are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then let's look again at Hebrews uh, 11, verse 1. Now, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith inv- involves both mind and what the scripture refers to as heart. The seat bed, the innermost being of, of a person. The seat of physical and spiritual and mental life. It's as if your heart has eyes and it's setting its gaze in confidence and assurance on Jesus. So how do believers look look to and consider Jesus? Um, a few quick practical options, uh, which historically are referred to as spiritual disciplines. Um, this is not an exhaustive list. Um, but just a, a, a few a few options. Um, and I'm kind of using the layout of what our Sunday service looks like as, as, and using those elements as a kind of as a tool to, to narrow down what, which particular um, spiritual disciplines I'm, I'm, I'm highlighting here. So attending Sunday, Sunday worship service in person if you can. Um, and related to that, number two, fellowshipping with God's people. It's okay to, to, to meet and to talk about common book or movie or, or food interests, um, but, but particularly having specific intentional conversations, discussing or singing or boasting in some way on Jesus as the center of your time. Three, reading the Bible. Whether using a Bible reading plan or just reading it straight through, in some way, a regular intake of God's word. Um Again, both individually and with others when you can. Prayer. Yet again, individually, but if you can do it with others um, as well. Singing scriptures, saturated, Christ-centered songs and hymns with saints and at home as you drive, as you take a walk, as you do whatever you do day to day. Um, And then the last one, uh, meditation. Uh, which in, in some ways is maybe one that isn't often talked about, uh, isn't often discussed, um, but it's still it's something that you see all throughout Scripture and particularly in the Psalms. and something that's a huge benefit as you as you think through and marinate on, on the things of God and the things of His Word and marinate on who Jesus is. Um, so, so think about Scripture. Think about Jesus and who He is and what He's done. And rehearse and run these things through your mind. Chew on them. Think on them for a chunk of uninterrupted and unhurried time, marinate in it, soak in it. Looking to Jesus, saints, consider him. Jesus endured hostility against himself, ridiculed, whipped to the point of his very flesh being ripped to shreds, nailed to a cross, endured the cross. The wrath of God fully poured out on him every last drop for his people unto death, raised to life again, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Therefore, as the one who is perfecting us, he knows what we are going through and He knows the strengthening that we need so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted to endure with him in our union with him to the glory and praise of his name. Consider Jesus, look to him, fix your eyes on him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your son. We thank you that you sent him to us for your glory and for our benefit that we might know you, Lord God. We pray that we would be aware of the things, the, the, the vanities even that 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 peek their head up so easily and try to Dissuade us away from Jesus. Help us, Father, to look to Jesus. Help us to consider Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. May your spirit grant us strength and help to do this for your name's sake. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.